immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. This episode is sponsored by Spatial, the immersive audio software that gives a new dimension to sound. Spatial gives creators the tools to create interactive soundscapes using our powerful 3D offering tool. The software modernizes traditional channel-based audio by rethinking how we hear and feel immersive experiences anywhere. Today, we're joined by Spatial co-founder and coder, Michael Plitkins, and we're going to look into all key elements of the software architecture, as well as share a portfolio of case studies featuring spatial technology. To find out more, go to www.spatiallink.com. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 70, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hello. How are you, Monica? It's been a while. It has been a minute. It's been a, It's been an exciting month, though. Month and a half, two months, something like that. <laughs> Time has been in a warp. Yeah, life's been really busy for both of us, so um, we haven't had a chance to to do another recording recently, but uh, you have some news. Do you want to tell us what happened in the last few weeks? Well, I got I got a job, um, and so I actually just uh, started working for um, a company called LifeScore, and they're using AI to create audio adaptive scores for people's lives. So that was a interesting kind of it's an interesting new journey for me, but um, yeah, I'm still it's a it's a fun company. So diving into it and um, getting to kind of play with the future of music from a kind of audio adaptive side of things, and so yeah, that that was an exciting um, new development. And I've also been uh, at a bunch of conferences. I went to Immersa. Um, and had some really great conversations about spatial audio in domes, one of my favorite things to talk about. And, uh, you know, got to um, hear some really um, amazing spatial audio pieces within that space as well. And um, what have you been up to, Oliver? Unfortunately, I can't share anything at this stage. However, very soon, I probably will be able to make a couple of announcements. Our guest today, Michael Plitkins from Spatial. Before founding Spatial, Michael was a founding engineer at Nest, which was ultimately acquired by Google. Michael helped to develop a set of groundbreaking smart consumer products for the home, like the Nest, thermostat, and helped to define the category we know as home Internet of Things today. Prior to Nest, he was a founding engineer at Tell Me Networks, which was acquired by Microsoft. He also has experience in developing tools and technologies for 3D modeling, animation, virtual reality, and graphics. Michael has over 35 patents in using interface design, streaming audio, smart home optimization, and more. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Hello. Great to be here. Can you tell us about your extensive engineering background and how you got into working with spatial audio? Um, yeah, sure thing. Um, so, yeah, you, you pointed out a bit of sort of the uh, things that I've been in involved in over the last 30, 40 years. Um, uh, so it's been, you know, all over the map from a decade or so of, of tools and technology for 3D graphics modeling animation that kind of, that all kind of came to a, a conclusion with the, the web-based VR that happened in the late uh, 1990s. Um, and from there, I you know, went on, moved on to be, um, to be a, one of the founding, uh, team members at, at, uh, tell me networks, as you mentioned, which was an interesting place to be, um, in the, the very late nineties. And, and for the first, uh, you know, roughly eight years of, of the two thousands, uh, through the whole dot-com crash, um, using, uh, so we had a, a an audio and creative team at the company, um, which kind of leads into where I am today a bit. Um, uh, where we so basically it was it was a company where that was using voice recognition technologies, um, which had 
just sort of gotten to the point of true viability by then. Um, and, and people had, you know, phones, mobile phones, right. Uh, but there were no smartphones. Um, and they, you know, people were very internet uh, aware, uh, and they, you know, people had like information pages, like, you know, my Yahoo, where you would customize, you'd just go to myyahoo.com and, and you would get uh, information that you had previously set up to be personalized just for you, stuff you care about. Um, and so people wanted to be able to, to uh, get access to that kind of thing on the go. So we basically sort of married the telephone to the internet um, and used voice technologies and trying to do extremely high quality audio experiences uh, over, uh, I thought, effectively standard 8 kilohertz, 8-bit mono, mu-law, uh, telephone uh, audio compression um, to to be you know ha- be able to interactively get get the information you want while you were anywhere, um, and then uh, and then we eventually kind of turned the, the the that very same technology and aimed it at uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies um, so that they could improve their customer experiences. Um, and and you know a call call an eight hundred number for to, to get in touch with the company, um, and and instead of of having a DTMF uh, you know touch tone menu that you would navigate for for getting getting wherever you needed getting to wherever you needed to, with those companies you we'd have these directed dialogues voice interactive things and and it was a much more pleasant experience. Um, uh, and that, so that was, that was, uh, really interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was there for about eight years and then the company got sold to Microsoft. Um, I wound up moving on and doing my own thing for a few years. And then after that, uh, I would then wound up, um, getting in touch with, uh, with, uh, Matt Rogers and Tony Fidel, who were just getting Nest underway. And I wound up being the first person hired uh, there to work on the thermostat software and, kind of uh ran i was the sort of lead engineer for for that team uh, all the way through launch and and beyond and then worked on some other other projects in the background and then eventually the the, uh, smoke detector products as well and 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 after being being with google for about a year i i kind of moved on and took a couple years um uh sort of just being a dad and um, doing, doing my own thing again. Uh, and then that led to the creation of spatial, um, where we were beginning, uh, this, this fairly large construction undertaking, uh, at our property to transform a portion of it into sort of a Pacific Island. Um, and I thought we'd found the right people to, to design it and and do the work, um, but I had this sneaking suspicion that once it was done, there'd be something lacking, and it it just wouldn't quite um, it qu- wouldn't quite be the experience it could be, and having having done stuff uh, mostly on the side with audio for you know 30 years or whatever um i thought you know there's a pretty good chance that if i can introduce um an immersive audio experience to this space that that would probably pretty effectively sell it and make it be uh, comfortable and and amazing so that's how spatial got off the ground and uh, and here we are today. Can you tell us a little bit more about the creation of Spatial as a concept and subsequently that becoming a company? So at the time, so this is this is late 2016. Um, we, my family and I were in, um, down in Monterey, California. Um, my uh, mother-in-law uh, was actually going through congestive heart failure. It was just a really big mess. And um, at the same time, we were about to embark on this construction, this huge project. And 
I, um, we, we were staying in various rented houses as we were trying to navigate this kind of health uh, crisis. Um, and, and I'm simultaneously thinking, you know, what can I do? You know, how would I approach bringing immersive sound into, uh, into this big outdoor space that we're building? And, um, and then, you know, at, at one of these houses, like there was, there was a gas fireplace. There was the first gas fireplace I'd ever seen that was really convincing. It looked, it looked like an actual fire and not this weird gas thing. And right next to it, there was a Sonos, um, like uh, Sonos One or Play One, I'm not sure how you call it, but small speaker. And I was like, wow, one thing that's missing from this fireplace experience is the crackle and pop of an actual fireplace. What if that speaker was uh, aware of where it was and what was going on around it and and you could get the sound to come out of that? Um, so thinking about devices having come out of Nest, um, being there for five years and consumer devices, like what could I do with like audio and consumer consumer devices to create uh, immersive, uh, like immersing you more in that, 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 that fire experience. Um, and then, and then um, with the outdoor project at home, I, I wanted some, some really simple way where for a given day, I could have an experience that was tailored to whatever was going to happen there. Um, whether, you know, we had uh, family over visiting and I wanted it to feel like we're, you know, at some beachside resort and you can't, you can't see the ocean because there's all these trees, but just, just, you know, it's out there. You can't see it, but it's out there. Um, um, or you're at the Star Wars forest moon of Endor. Uh, and so you, you know, you have that different kind of audio experience all around you or, um, Indiana Jones, South American jungle. So a different kind of, of outdoor immersive experience. And I was pretty sure that, you know, I wasn't the only person that wanted to have something like this. So there must be some, um, some like off the shelf technology that I could just go out and and buy. Um, and, and so I called, I called a friend of mine, Gary, who, who used to run the creative team at tell me. And I said, Gary, I have this, this thing I want to, I want to build. Um, any idea, um, any idea what I should go get? And he, he, you know, he had been a, uh, audio engineer and, and done lots and lots of stuff with audio, but he kind of moved on from that. And, and he said, well, um, no, I don't, I don't know, but, but there's a gentleman, uh, this guy, Walter, Walter Wurzawa, who, um, he's, he's down in LA and he, uh, he has a company, they do all kinds of amazing things with audio. Uh, he was responsible for, for creating the Intel da -ding -da -ding sound um, years ago. Um, mm. And, and he, he's like, he's the go-to guy. He'll know all there is to know about the current state of the audio technologies and point you in the right direction. And he's like, just call him. Here's the number. Uh, he'll answer your call. So I sort of cold called him on, on uh, some mid-December evening. And uh, sure enough, he picked up and we started chatting and I kind of laid out what I was trying to do. And I was like, so tell me what to go buy. And he was like, um, there really isn't anything. Uh, he said, if you're going to do this, you're probably going to have to make it yourself. Um, and, and he's like, and if you're going to do it properly, he's like, you should probably just start a company. And then that's where the light bulb went off in my head. Uh, he like turned it on and uh, we, we kind of spent probably another hour on the phone just going back and forth. And I was thinking about, okay, well, if, if this would get properly capitalized, um, what then could I, could I do? Um, and then that, that sort of kicked off, uh, I don't know, three, four months of, of rumination about what, what to build, um, what the possibilities could be. Um, and then I turned around and, and I called, um, I called Tony 
who had worked with at Nest. And I said, Tony, I've got this, this thing, this, this like crazy thing that I really have to go off to. Um, but I, but like, I'm, I need a, a product person to help me prioritize to, to figure out, you know, what to build first. Cause there's just so much to go do. Um, and he basically put together a very kind of terse email um, to me and, and Colin Pacarariu saying, you guys should talk. And uh, so I got to know uh, Colin uh, and uh, I effectively hired him to be CEO. And we started the company together on August 1st, 2017. Um, first as a, as coming again, coming out of nest and consumer stuff, consumer hardware um, to, to build consumery hardware. Um, <clears throat> but then we pretty quickly said, no, let's, let's do this with software. We don't, we don't have to do the hardware. It's hardware is incredibly expensive uh, uh, to go and, and, and build as a company software is something that uh, we thought we could accomplish the same goals without going into all that other complication. That's a really interesting story. And just kind of, it's really cool to see how, you know, this has kind of progressed into the company that it is today. Yeah, I guess would be interesting to hear, Michael, like a little bit about the kind of the actual process of building this beast of a product. Obviously, you had to get your hands dirty and start writing the code. Can you maybe share your experience spreading the workload, um, obviously creating the company as well as creating the product itself? Sure, sure. So um, so I reached out to um, some folks that... Uh, that I had worked with previously that had uh, experience building audio stuff, audio. So I had never built anything uh, in the audio realm before. Um, the closest I got was the click sound on the Nest thermostat when you turn the dial, right? <laughs> that was that was like it. So um, not exactly an immersive experience by any stretch. Um, so I turned around to, yeah, to some folks that I'd worked with that I knew had good audio experience. And then... Um, Colin reached out to some folks that that he'd known from previous ventures, and uh, and we kind of hired this 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 team, and some of those guys brought in some other folks, um, and it took it took the team about a year to make um, to make a sort of viable prototype. Where so there there are now there are now four components to the whole thing that we have. There's, there's the the application we call reality. It's the platform that runs on on sort of server type machines um, that that generate the real time audio experience. Um, there is a an application that runs on um, on iOS um, that's called Control that does exactly that. It lets you control what's going on uh, in on the, on the, the server platforms that to generate the audio immersive audio experience. Um, there's a, a tool called Studio that came along later that is used for, for content creation. Um, our first content creation tools were uh, Google Spreadsheets, um, which is not really very friendly environment for um, audio uh, folks to work in. Um, and then the fourth component that came on kind of latest uh, all of all of it is our cloud, um, our cloud service that ties everything together and that's where there's account administration and you keep track of your various spaces where the the content gets deployed um a content management system all the things that you need to to make all this stuff work together in a in a seamless way so people don't have to to manage those those things themselves um so it took a year to get to the point where um we had sort of the minimum viable um, control application and platform. Those are the only things we had to begin with. Um, and, and, and it, you know, at first we had simple like sounds of like monks chanting, walking around in a circle, like in our engineering space uh, upstairs in our office. Um, and that sounded pretty good. Um, and we could, then bring in other things and instead of having just like literally a circle that things had to go in like oh how about we have a motion path with you know straight lines um so a year of this kind of of 
prototyping, uh, and then and then in in um, in 2018, in the summer of 2018, the construction uh, project was finally settling down, um, and and we went as part of, at the kind of the, the very tail end of the construction at, at our property. Um, I had gone and gotten a bunch of speakers and wire. And as the workers were laying down um, low voltage lighting and irrigation and all this stuff, I said, here you go. Please lay down a little bit more conduit, run these speaker wires all around and run them to these two locations where we will have uh, server racks of, of stuff sort of half indoors, half outdoors. Um, and, um, uh, got it all going. I, I built the racks and wired everything up. You landed the software there and the rendering algorithm promptly broke, um, because it had really been designed for a much more traditional, uh, layout of, of speakers where they're, you know, as you know, mentioned earlier, like, you know, dome or they're on the periphery of the space, right. Which is almost universally how these things get put together. Um, in this case, we had speakers that were inside the space and well inside. And so the um, the software mo- the model for for how to how to you know render render the objects because it's 100% object based rendering um, it just couldn't cope very well. So we we had to kind of regroup and took I don't know a few weeks and um, came up with a, a new model and um, and that worked and it was pretty tremendous um uh it was again a super super primitive um environment in terms of content creation where literally in these google spreadsheets you had um one column that would be like object name three columns of xyz um additional columns of coordinates for uh, motion paths things like start delays um volume um anyways uh, parameters of, of, of for each object and then you could take at the end end of one of the spreadsheet rows you could you could like roll up the the entire row into a tiny snippet of content that represented the entirety of the object description and you could like play that thing into the space and just see what it did um it was a tool called paste and play um and then if you if you wanted to take all of the objects that you'd created in the spreadsheet, you could go to the bottom right corner of, of the spreadsheet and it would roll up all of the objects into uh, effectively a scene file. And you could drop that into paste and play and then see what the, the whole piece of content would do. Um, and uh, it was just barely enough that the folks that we had could, could, could make some interesting, uh, interesting and, and cool content to, to sort of show things off. Um, and then studio came along and, uh, lots of other details and the, the model that we have today, it, it, it still embodies the, those sort of initial, uh, things, but it's gone way, way beyond, um, and a much more sophisticated model for, for representing, um, scene graphs and, um, scripting and inputs and outputs and all kinds of stuff. Michael B. Really great to go a level deeper and perhaps discuss the spatial pipeline and the workflow. You already mentioned like a key components uh, on the software side of things. And um, could you just maybe describe the process from a kind of content creation standpoint all the way to the full deployment? Sure. I, I think what I'll do is, is take another sort of step back and and describe the sort of overall goals that that um that i had in mind for for the for the whole system because it's not it's not just an audio playback system some of the stuff goes back to to work that i did in the vr space in the late 90s um where i wanted to i i I wanted to have objects true objects um and you know most audio objects are just like these little point things they're they they have no structure to them they're just it's it's just okay great it's an object that means it has a position in space you can move it all around it does whatever it's going to do um i wanted to be able to have like 
real objects with sophistication. So if you want to have a, some kind of robotic figure or an articulated machine or uh, a large uh, you know, dragon or bird, whatever, that you could represent all of that, encapsulate it, and be able to take these objects and create them once and then reuse them in the future in whatever context. Um, also, to be able to create the content one time in whatever space you are in and never have to effectively go back and remaster it. Um, so, so being able to have the content automatically and adapt, automatically adapt to whatever space it lands in and perform the very best that I can with whatever change there may be to speaker topology, quantity, overall scale, et cetera. So those are some of the, the fundamentals. Also, really sort of one-stop shopping. I, I, I didn't, you know, I kind of just took Walter's advice, uh, face value, and didn't do a massive amount of research into what was already out there in, on the marketplace. Um, There's a small amount, but... Um, I, I knew that I wanted to have a complete solution. And my perception was that a lot of the offerings that were out there were partial solutions and that you had to bring a bunch of other things to the table to come up with the real final complete solution. So I wanted, I wanted to have uh, everything in, in the box. And that included, so, you know, again, we, we have everything you need to like create the content to deploy the content using our cloud system. Um, to to integrate with other things that are in the space uh, or spaces that you're going to land in. So that includes show control. Um, how do you integrate um, in sort of the best way with, with other audio equipment? So we do, for example, native AES67 audio um, in and out. You can attach uh, AES67 audio streams to objects and we treat them like any other kind of waveform. Um, and similarly, we can render out um, uh, the audio that's ultimately going to hit amplifiers, uh, land on amplifiers and other equipment um, via AES67. So um, it's it's all there um, and have data that can come in and out of the uh, of the simulation. So, so for example, you may have sensors that are deployed in a space that that can that can feed data into the simulation and influence what it's doing in real time. And you know, if you if that's sort of the the, the beauty of 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 doing completely real time um, compositing, uh, mixing, um, uh, and creation of the of the output streams is if. If it's all in real time, then you can change anything at any moment. Um, um, so, and doing so with you know minimal latency. Um, so you can you can flow data into the simulation. It can it can act on it, which means you have to have logic as as a component within the simulation. If some data is coming in, like what what does that mean? How, you have to make some kind of evaluation, and then determination um, of, of what what that the input data could do. Um, and then similarly, um, if, if you're going to be, if you have events that are occurring uh, within the simulation, you know, something, something starts, something stops. Um, those, those events may need to tie to other things that are going on in the simulation space. So being able to fire off uh, other events uh, outside of the simulation and uh, via via local or um, um, you know it could be wide area remote network um, to be able to 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 influence other things lighting visuals um, anything smell generators um, um, so so yeah I was trying to to really pull all of this stuff together to create as complete and as flexible a solution that you could apply to whatever it is that you're trying to to make in terms of uh, immersive experiences not just audio but an overall immersive experiences and just sort of pulling pulling together a lot of the different things that i had worked on in the past into um into this one package also scalability um 
to scale from a small number of speakers, like the most, I think the like minimal um, spatial audio experience is like four speakers. It's like a like a uh, three pointed like triangle pyramid. Um, one speaker up high and three down low. That's sort of really very minimal um, to thousands. And how do you do thousands of speakers? Well, that, you know, one computer would not likely be able to handle that. So you, that means you have to be able to stamp out um, the experience that's running kind of striped across a whole pile of computers that are all communicating, all synchronized to, to generate um to generate all the waveforms uh, uh, in, in sync to go to all the speakers that, that ultimately make up that experience. I think, yeah, one of the things to me that's really fascinating about spatial and kind of how, um, in my experience working with it, is um, the ability, like, is, is that kind of, you know, full um, studio space like you were talking about and um, the ability to do more kind of interactive um, things. That's something I personally haven't really seen in some other spatial audio uh, platforms currently. I think most of them, most tool sets that are coming out are very much based on the panning methodology and creating good panners um, where I think the t- spatial and like from what I've seen is, you know, much more about creating um, environments and creating a space and giving you all of the tool sets to be able to do that. And I think listening to you talk, that seems kind of where you were coming from kind of in your initial visioning of uh, spatial as a software. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, and there are still, there are all kinds of things that, um, that are in sort of planning at one stage or another, um, much of what I can't really talk about right now, but um, that, you know, we haven't, we just haven't gotten there yet. And uh, eventually we will, but yeah, it, it was kind of this, this, um, you know, this, this overall kind of fairly large scale um, project and, and, you know, when I was working on tools for um, 3D graphics, modeling, animation, all that stuff, um, you know, the tools ranged um, from these incredibly complicated things um, that weren't really approachable um, by sort of mere mortals um, to um, con- some consumer tools that that I, you know, that I, I was involved with where we were really, really trying to make, to make the stuff approachable for, for, I mean, there was a time when, when there were like consumer, like 3d modeling tools in the, in the, in the nineties. And today that's, I think largely kind of disappeared. Um, um, a lot of the companies got snapped up and, um, swallowed by, uh, larger entities. Um, but there was a time when you know people would sit down and play around with these things um, at home, um, ray tracing and stuff, and um, and so I was trying to 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 bring some of that some of that stuff to to the tools that we were building, so that you know, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't focused at all on the you know from from the user point of view on the audio technology that's behind the curtain like the panning stuff kind of that you were mentioning, but more about the creative intent. Like I have something that I'm trying to build. I just want it to happen. Like I don't want to have to manage a whole bunch of like plugins and a DAW to achieve a certain effect because I don't even necessarily know how to achieve that effect. I just want it to happen, right? So to to the degree that we can, we we try to make a bunch of that stuff happen um, automatically. So you, you know, you can, we have things called distance effects. So you can say, you know what, I have this object that's going to move from here to, to there, um, possibly from outside the space into the space or transiting through the space and going elsewhere. Um, and I just want the object to do what it should do. If, if it were doing that in the real world, and let's say we're simulating being in an outdoor space. So just make it happen. 
Um, and so, you know, and under the hood, what that might involve is um, like Doppler, uh, uh, simulating uh, Doppler effect if it's something, something is moving fast enough. Um, the, the fact that as something gets further away from you, the high frequencies start to, to, to roll off and amplitude rolls off and reverberation can increase. You just click a box saying, make it happen and, and we'll take it from there. Um, and again, if you, if you pair that up with things like creating a scene in, in a space, um, sort of like maybe the one that I'm in right now, small studio, that's ultimately going to land somewhere much larger because that's, that's the built environment that, it, that, you know, that's really intended for. Um, and, and you, you, you want things to happen at, at, uh, at sort of a natural speed, like someone's walking through the space um, and they're going to walk at a certain speed in space, regardless of whether it's large or small, they're not going to start running just because the space got a whole lot bigger. Right. Uh, so it's, it's not that it's going to be a time bound, like that's going to take five seconds to do whatever it's going to do. It's going to go at a certain velocity. Um, and, and so the, and again, you pipe, you pair that up with things like the, the distance effects, they will automatically just happen at the right time, at the right pace, uh, for the the size of the space that the objects are are moving through, um, and it just makes it makes this idea of of content that you that you can build once and it will just land wherever it's going to land and behave properly um, be be something that's that's achievable. Whereas normally, you know. You you build something um, for a whole for a certain speaker layout. You go to a different speaker layout. You like remaster it. You 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 know you you go and um, you go to to a much larger space. And if you had built used like traditional plugins and you baked into the audio waveforms all of the the sort of um, physical things that happen to sound uh, as it's going to you know be simulating moving around in, in, in the space, you, you, you have to go and do it, you know, all over again when, when, when circumstances change. And I wanted to just make none of that be a concern for the people that were making the content. And then, then if you can achieve that, then you truly can do things like say, I don't know, have a content marketplace where you can make objects that then people can go and, and they make it once and bring it into another scene, it'll just work. What what exactly are some of the clients you've been working with and how have you been utilizing the technology to achieve specific objectives? I know you've been working in spaces such as well-being and entertainment and education. Um, would you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure thing. Um, yeah, so going back to sort of the, the beginning um, where I started thinking about this whole project while we were in this environment where uh, um, my mother-in-law was going in and out of these hospitals or you know, the hospital down in Monterey um, and other care facilities. And so we were visiting frequently. Um, you know, I, I just kept thinking like, how is it that anyone like had like hospitals just are nasty places. Sorry. Um, just, <laughs> it's just not a pleasant space to be. Um, and it's kind of like people will get better in spite of the fact that they're in, um, you know, these, these unpleasant spaces. So, so the idea that, that sound could, could be a benefit to, to people that are, that are in these healthcare environments was something that was absolutely um, top of mind. Um, and what I learned later was uh, Walter, same Walter Wurzawa, he actually had a company called Health Tunes. Um, and he had also concluded this a long time ago, that, that sound and music can have a true benefit and positive impact on, on outcomes in healthcare situations. Um, so we've been working, uh, working with, uh, health tunes and with, um, with hospital systems, um, 
on on bringing bringing the sort of healing power of 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 sound to uh to health healthcare environments um and what i hadn't known at the time when this was you know uh you know just top of mind in 2016 17 um was that there actually is a whole pile of science behind this and there are very specific um kinds of sounds um binaural beats and abs uh, uh specifically um that and and other things but um that that really do tap into the 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 brain's ability to to uh to latch on to sound and and use that for for healing purposes so um so that's been a really great area uh and we've seen a lot of interest from uh, outside parties in in that specific area um so but hospitality is is another area that's of a particular interest and that's again you know bringing bringing immersion to to a space you know you're 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 visiting a space for a reason um and using audio to really heighten what that experience what that experience uh is um we also have um we have an interesting integration with uh Steinway Lingdorf today um in terms of very specific um home theater uh or media room uh processing um and this was another one that i at from the very beginning i was like you know I, i'll bet you i'll bet you we we can do something here and um and that's been that's been pretty interesting pretty cool to to actually see uh come to life where you e- even with a a simple uh, like 5.1 kind of system all the way through atmos dtsx um we can really make the experience in those spaces um basically sound like the whole like the sound is coming out of the the room just add just out of the space itself as opposed to coming out of that left speaker or the right or center or the surround or whatever it's just it it just really paints the room with with sound um and it's all it's all very controllable uh as software so you can you can you know you can play around with some bass management and 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 do, you know do whatever to your taste you would like the room to really be like and also to correct for um to correct for speaker placement because you know uh, the idea that you know people have literally a theater right that they go into it's a purpose built space that's only for that is something that's been falling out of favor for for quite a while now the people want just a room a space maybe it's a family room um and 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 there may be all kinds of of uh, reasons why you can't place the speakers where um where you're supposed to so great place them where you can um because we you know spatial as as a, in terms of the speaker layout placement etc like it's completely agnostic you put them wherever you want tell us where they are we need to know exactly where they are um and we'll fill in the rest and make things just happen um so great we can apply those same principles to to uh to home theater and and take some very very challenging rooms and and make them sound uh, really amazing there's also a trend today um kind of getting away from projectors and 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 uh super dark dark rooms again to more natural spaces with very large displays where you can no longer uh, traditionally with a projecting projector in a space you would use uh acoustically transparent screen material and put put the 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 left center right speakers behind the screen um which is what happens in you know all the movie theaters out there today um but now if you have a a giant oled wall um you can't do that uh the speakers are get pushed way out to the left and right and the center channel get because above or below or both or um and we can we can we can virtually correct all that um so that's been a really interesting um direction 
um it's you know it, it as a platform it's it's something that that can land um anywhere where you have a creative intent and are trying to create an experience of some sort and make it really straightforward to make audio be a component of that where before it was quite challenging um and it's a software solution as opposed to uh, a big hardware uh, hardware integration. Museums are another obvious location where every museum is about some kind of experience, right? Or multiple kinds of experiences. Um, and so we we uh, we did a really great um, a great project for uh, National Geographic um, at their headquarters in Washington D.C. They made an exhibit called um, uh, Climb. It was about uh, about uh, the climb that some of their explorers made up. Um, it's about the history of climbing Mount Everest, and some specifics were about uh, some of the some of their explorers who went up the mountain in in 2019 and the specific science they were doing. Um, and our our contribution was sort of the the entryway to the whole exhibit uh, was this 40 foot long hallway with um, four. Um, projectors onto these kind of angled surfaces. I kind of thought of it as like, um, like you're going through like an ice hallway or something. Um, so you've got these, these, these interesting surfaces. Um, and the, and the, the four projectors were showing different videos and, um, there were a bunch of speakers installed in the space and they, the folks in that, in that geo sent us, um, the videos that they'd made. And then, um, hundreds of hours of 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 recordings that that uh, they had got they they had made um uh, on their time you know on the mountain over a long period of time um and a and a and a script kind of rough script to work from and then our guys um um uh, through through covid <laughs> um in the dining rooms and whatever um at home um with their their little deployments um and we did all the the show control that was in there for synchronizing the, the video and and a lot of the things that that um, that we do are designed to be organic and not they don't repeat. Um, this was sort of an atypical example where uh, it was a hard, I think, six minute fifty one second loop of of the the video going, and then it would restart and the whole thing would go back to the beginning. Um, but it was a pretty. Um, Pretty amazing to actually finally get to see that in March of uh, of this year at the headquarters. So yeah, museums are an, an, an obvious again, and they're they're already working hard to to bring an experience to you, and now adding a, an immersive audio component to that experience is is uh, is fairly straightforward. It's it's uh, it's great to work on something like this. That's um, that's fun. People find when you build a platform like this. Um, the best part is seeing what ways people figure out how to use it because they will come up with all kinds of interesting things to go and, and, and do with it. And we're still just scratching the surface, um, as we, as we get it out, um, out into the world, uh, people, more and more folks are, are learning how to use the, the software, the tools, what platform capabilities are. Um, we've been working with folks at the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences um, down in uh, in Arizona, um, and they now have a whole student uh, curriculum for for bringing. So you know that that place is all about sort of teaching uh, recording engineers for the most part. Um, with my interpretation, um, uh, you know. How do, how do you how do you do that? Like, what's that all about, right? And now they've got this whole new spatial thing that um, that kids can can jump into and and learn how to use how to use our our tools uh, in that environment, which is great. And they're you know wonderful folks to to work with. And that kind of leads us into um, our next question. Um, yeah, you've recently released an educational course, Spatial Studio One Hundred and One, um, and I guess, yeah, what is the level of expertise that's required um, for those who'd like to explore the program? Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, I would I would say really it's um so the sort of general flow is you you need to have some level of proficiency with 
with sort of a traditional DAW, right? Because you need to you need to to curate or or um, have a library of or however you're going to do it. Have a bunch of audio snippets that represent things that you're going to attach to objects, right? Um, that's sort of the beginning. Um, so use use a DAW to to go and 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 find all those little little bits um, and and some creative intent, something you're something you you want to accomplish, uh, and and so that's where we want to we want to open this stuff up to to anyone that that has a space and they want some sound to happen in that space, um, and they've got the creative wherewithal to to try to accomplish that. Um, and they could be architects. Um, it can be hobbyists, you know, just people at home. And one of the, one of the things that, you know, I thought about, uh, cause at the time when we were starting all this, like, um, our son was at, a, uh, in preschool and every year the school had a really cool haunted house thing that they were, that they would, they would transform part of the, the school, which is actually, it was a preschool was in it. It's like in a big old house. And so they would, they would turn part of that into like a haunted house. But like, how do you, like, how do you make audio be part of this like haunted house experience? Um, so that's, that's been one of our example things is like, if you just want to have like the coolest haunted house, like you should be, it should be very easy for you to go and make, make an experience like that. So, so, so I would say it's not, you know, if you're, if you're an audio like expert, if you're a studio engineer, you've got a leg up on everybody else. That's wonderful. Like you already know a lot of what kinds of things to go and, and do, but uh, that's not sort of the, the minimum uh, requirement for entry. It's really, um, do you have an interest in audio and do you have an idea of what you want to go and, and, and do with it? Starting from there, um, with those those things, pretty much anyone anyone can can do it, including kids. Michael, can you talk about how prospective users can access your software? Can you explain how the software licensing deal works, and for those who'd like to explore more potentially, you can go to our website. Anyone can go there and get a backstage pass. This um, this allows you to run. The spatial platform reality, we call it, on a Mac Mini, and output up to sixty-four channels of audio. And the intent here is again, anyone that wants to learn the software, that wants to do some creative stuff, have fun with it, uh, is encouraged to just go grab it, um, create an account, get the backstage pass, which gives you a license uh, to use it on a computer, and Go have fun with it. Learn how to learn how it works. Get an experience up and running. Um, and as long as that is a private thing or not for or or there's no there's no you know commercial intent, there's no money changing hands effectively, then that's it. It's great. Enjoy. Um, but when you get into a, a commercial setting, then there is um, then there is a, a license to use the software for a year it's based on on uh number of of computers um and and it's a it's a, a yeah yearly license to 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 use the software per per computer and you can have as many different experiences as you'd like on on the computers in question um including simultaneously running in different spaces, different logical spaces. So a space is, is a, a, a definition of a certain group of speakers that are that are physically installed somewhere um, where a scene is running across that collection of speakers. Um, spaces can overlap. Um, spaces can um, can be configured however you want. And uh, and it lets you do all kinds of very, very flexible things with uh with what you have uh, installed and layering scenes on top of each other and incorporating music and things like that. That's the, the basic model. Thanks, Michael, for that answer. 
Um, could you talk about the future roadmap of how you see spatial um, continuing to evolve along with our industry and beyond? One of the observations, and this comes, this came came out you know, even way back when I was at, at, at Tell Me, nineteen ninety nine. Like audio in general is um, is this is like the last is the thing that's thought about last when creating something. Uh, oftentimes it's everything else and it's like oh wait yeah we need to have some sound in here um and so we're 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 working you know front and center to make audio in in many cases perhaps be the element of the experience right where you can just enter into some physical space and there's stuff happening and you may not even know that you're being subjected to um, a synthetic uh, audio experience. Um, it's just front and center. It just happens. And um, so, so yeah, having make, making audio be something that that is very very easy um, to 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 make to add into in, in any experience, or to like I said, have it be the experience. Um, that's that's you know very much um very much uh goal and you know George Lucas is is famous for saying that you know 50% of the of the movie experience is is sound um you know the image is what is is what you see but honestly like sound uh in many ways it is uh can be more impactful um like just the sort of human physiology right the the ears like hear things and the reaction time uh, from hearing something is immediate. Um, it's very primal. Breaking more barriers, getting getting true object-based um, sound uh, as opposed to thinking about, you know, um, placing placing sounds like you know, through, uh, on, on speakers or... Um, or having or having folks thinking about channels all the time, um, trying to just sort of break that and just think about the experience itself, um, and and what what are the what are the objects and uh, some simple techniques that that um, you can employ to 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 make that to make that experience and make it be something that can easily translate from one space to another. I know is. Audio people, you know, we're we're very used to audio being uh, the 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 second thing thought of in relation to visual production, and um, but it it is so important, and you miss the sound when it's gone, and um, I really love kind of the thought process of how how do we how do we make audio um, a bigger consideration and something. Yeah, that is the experience or you think about first um, and not just an afterthought. Uh, and how do we kind of re- really, you know, um, communicate the importance of sound in our environments and in our spaces, um, even even getting into, you know, uh, like acoustic design. And uh, I know one of my favorite books is uh, Armory Schaefer's Tuning of the World, um, which really talks about, you know, just how do we think about sound in our environment and how is it affecting us just generally? And I guess with that, you know, what are you excited about in the future of spatial audio? Having been at it, building this platform and ecosystem of tools for, for five years, um, it's, it's really getting it out there in the world and seeing what people do with it, um, there is there's a lot of stuff that that we have um, a lot of capability that's been built into the the whole uh, the whole software stack that we haven't necessarily even communicated to people, um, and so we need to finish that job. Um, we need to um, we need to allow people to tap into those things and and see what they create because that's again it's often when you build a when you build a platform like this it's it's how how it gets used that's the most interesting and and eye-opening thing um there are 
lots of um, lots of, of experiences and spaces out there that that I've you know kind of studied and and said you know what like this is what you need and to see to see spatial get employed in in these locations and um, and you know the, the transformative power of of spatial audio um, to to really and it goes back to to what you just said where you kind of you've 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 done your job if the moment you turn an experience off you kind of lose it and you go like what the heck happened like i had no idea that um that the sound was contributing that much to to what was going on here or um or the the subtlety there can be some incredibly subtle things that that you can do with, with sound to 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 make folks believe that they're truly in um in a in a in an experience that that again may be largely synthetic um and um and then when you when you take it away it's just it's just like whoa that's this is this is not pleasant it was way way better just turn it back on please please and we we do that um we did all the time in 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 some of the demonstrations that we that we do um here and in our in our offices where it's just a massive transformation and going back to my original project um it's it wound up being true like when when the audio is not playing whatever it is whether it's you know because we do have you know star wars forest moon of endor we've got indiana jones we've got all you know all kinds of different simulations that we can project into this space that we ultimately did build out and if you're not playing one of those things the place is just weird because you have this incredibly rich texture and the vegetation and all this stuff and 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 for it not to seem like it's like teeming with life and all this stuff is um uncanny valley what is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do at spatial don't really write software anymore but i do my best to sort of lead um lead the the team into the new directions and to to pull things out of out of the past that were sort of in in mind um and now and now like things have evolved so let's go after this this thing that that's been kind of waiting in the wings and now we now now it's the right time to go to go tackle that um and i i i like drop in little little random bombs here and there like ah i want to like let's go do this um and uh folks pick them up and 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 uh and run forward with them um but uh, spatialink.com um that's the website spatial with a t s p a t i a l uh, uh inc.com that's a great way to um learn about um what we're doing and you can find uh you can find me there too brilliant and can you share one piece of advice that really helped you in your journey in your career yeah um so there's a um so this goes back to when I worked at at a company called Netscape Communications in the late '90s. Um, there was a guy there who who ran. Uh, he did all kinds of stuff, uh, including first engineering manager. Um, his name was Tom Paquin. Um, he got through my cranium at the time that um, the one constant is change, and change is good. Embrace change. Don't be afraid of change. Run after it when when it's when it's approaching um and and every every change is an opportunity and change may look like a frightening thing but um if you look at it differently um then it's an opportunity um and jim barksdale who is ceo of that company um uh phrased it differently but uh uh is similar similar kind of thing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and talking about kind of more of the history behind Spatial. 
and how you've gotten to where you are today with this tool set. Michael, thank you very much for talking to us today. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.